Okay. This press conference has been organised to put on record the anger felt by teachers <coughs> at all levels to the insertion of Clause 37.1 to the Employment Equality Bill. This clause specifically exempts religious controlled bodies from the Bill's general bar on religious discrimination. We wish to highlight the absurdity of a Bill claiming to... The judgment in the High Court of um, Justice Costello was that... Um, I had been sacked, in a quote, for failing to observe the Catholic ethos and mores of the institution in which I, I taught. But um, my solicitor, Simon Kennedy, was trying to point out the contradiction in the sequence of events that certainly Sister Benignus interviewed me before she went. Uh, because she had heard rumours that I was having an association, whatever you make of the term association, with a married man, also in inverted commas. And um, Simon pointed out uh, throughout the case that it was very strange that not really much more was said about any of this, if anything at all, up until the time that they had confirmation of the pregnancy. And yet they tried to say that the pregnancy had nothing to do with the dismissal. We rejected also in the light of the Eileen Flynn case, where most significantly she was sacked on the grounds of maintaining a religious ethos, the phrase which most ominously crops up in the actual wording now to pass into law. I was staying in a flat in the centre of town in 2 Mary Street. The streets were being done up at the time and the streets were all dug up and there were pipes and whatever. And I was coming out of the flat going somewhere and this child, as children are wont to do, was walking along the pipe and fell and gave herself a bad cut. So I asked her where she lived and I went down and went in, and Richie was there in the kitchen. Girl was there, showed me up to the kitchen, and uh, that was the first time I had actually set eyes on him, and I explained that the girl who turned out to be Rebecca, who was the second eldest in the family, she's 23 now, um, had fallen and given herself a cut. So I, he thanked me, and I didn't stay long, and I went on my way again. And having been... Down in the pub then, a lot of the people that I knew to go out socially with, some of them went down to the pub, so I started socialising in the pub and we got chatting. It was like a force of nature, but um, I knew even at that time that uh, he was what I wanted. Um, I became very attached to the children and uh, our relationship did develop. Convent of the Holy Faith, Ross Birkin, New Ross, County Wexford, the 30th of the 8th, 1981. Miss Eileen Flynn, BA, H. Dippin Ed, came to this school as a probationer teacher in September 1978. She had done some supply work in Good Council College and was recommended by Father John Cosgrave, OSA, Rector. 
She is a very gifted young lady and was then full of promise. Her results at the end of her first and second years of teaching were most satisfactory. She was notified in April 1979 that she was being given a permanent position. In the course of the following year, habits of unpunctuality were noticed and attendance began to be rather irregular from time to time. It was in the course of her third school year, 1980-81, that complaints from parents regarding the quality of her work began and there were some disquieting reports of unacceptable behaviour outside school hours. It was some considerable time before this knowledge came to my ears. I spoke to Eileen regarding her schoolwork on a couple of occasions during the year. She was always courteous and seemed receptive. Accusations of a more serious nature have been made in recent weeks. Many parents are not satisfied to have their children taught by a teacher whose personal life they claim is not above reproach. I interviewed Eileen formally on August the 13th, 1981, and put the situation before her, telling her that unless there is a remarkable improvement, it will lead to the termination of her contract at the end of the school year 1981-82. Sister Mary Benignus McDonough. Um, the circumstances under which you took Eileen's case on? Yes, uh, there was a solicitor uh, working with me who was actually consulted. Um, He was consulted by her and he mentioned the case to me. Um, And initially, uh, I was incredulous that uh, she might uh, be facing dismissal. But when I discovered that it was in fact the case, um, I suppose I was shocked. Uh, I didn't believe uh, that a person's private life could be exposed to that type of scrutiny uh, at that time. And uh, I was particularly upset by the fact that she was pregnant. Was it a difficult decision for you to make to take the case on? I mean, this is a small town. No. Sister Benignus brought me in um, in the summer of 81, I think. She had heard rumours that a relationship was forming, so uh, she wanted to speak to me about it, and she told me that um, parents were complaining uh, that a relationship was forming with this man, Um, whom they considered to be an undesirable. And I said the relationship was purely platonic. And I suppose, to be honest, at that stage, it was not really the case because uh, I had definite feelings towards him and towards uh, the kids and the whole lot. And um, I also stated that I considered, you know, that was outside of school, the school domain, and that um, I didn't think I was doing anything which was wrong or not above board and that my private life, I considered it to be my private life, exactly that, no concern of um, the convents or the school. It was the fact that she was living with a married man that was totally at variance with what we felt was 
proper and right for our school, for a Catholic school. And so I interviewed Eileen formally and put the situation to her, as is in my statement of the time, and let her know that it was obvious now that unless there was a marked improvement in her personal behaviour, personal living, that sadly it would lead to the termination of her contract, possibly the following year. As the time of my departure approached, and as the problem seemed to be uh, becoming more and more evident and obvious with more and more parents, uh, I decided to let the manager of the school know of the situation before handing on to my successor. It was in June 1981 when Sister Benignus came to speak to me and inform me about the situation. And I remember the burden of her message was the anxiety and concern and the complaints from parents. Well, I was immediately aware that should the situation continue, that it could become a major problem for the school. Now, when Sister Pauline came to speak with me, I remember that she indicated that she would be keeping a file. And I would have let her know that I considered the keeping of a file to be very important. And we also agreed that she would keep in frequent contact with me about the situation. Miss Eileen Flynn called today to collect her salary. I brought her into the office and asked her to read Sister Benignus's account of their meeting of August the 13th, dated the 30th of August, 1981. She did so, saying, I won't sign anything, I've got advice. I replied that I only wanted her to read the statement to assess if it was a fair and accurate account of what transpired between herself and Sister Benignus on August the 13th, 1981. While reading, Miss Flynn commented that it was extraordinary how many people knew one's private life and set themselves up as gods in judgment. Having read the document, Miss Flynn agreed that it was a fair and accurate account of the meeting of August the 13th, 1981. Sister Pauline M. Leonard, 11th of the 9th, 1981. The school authorities would like to present a picture that most of the parents at the school were outraged by Eileen's situation. Would this have been your understanding? Um, when the case started initially uh, in front of the Employment Appeals Tribunal uh, on the first day, which was in September, and it was a very warm day, there were actually very few people in court apart from the protagonists. And as I recall, I'm not sure if the local press were there. They may have been. Uh, this would not have been a regular sitting of the court. It would have been uh, fixed by arrangement with the court caretaker for the Employment Appeals Tribunal, uh, which is run under the auspices of the Department of Labour, as it then was. Um, the result was there would have been very little uh, um, advanced publicity in relation to the case. But when... Uh, the story began to leak out. Uh, suddenly, on the second day, the national press were there 
and the case went on. Uh, I'm not sure for how many days uh, on the second sitting. I think maybe another day, I'm not really sure. Uh, but at that particular point, it was beginning to take on uh, a different attitude, not simply locally, but nationally as well. I... Yeah, I got on with my life, and in either October, November, I think of that year, I actually moved into Seven the Key, and at that stage in September, I, I didn't know that I was pregnant. But uh, when I um, realised that I was, in fact, pregnant, um, I moved in. People in general, I mean, it is a very small town, um, were aware, I think, after a while, certainly by September of 1981, October, November, that... um, there was some kind of a relationship going on, platonic or otherwise, because um, I had been to functions with Richie. I had gone to um, a dress dance in Wexford. I had gone to the local dinner dance. As far as I remember, I can't be sure, I went to the local Garda dance. Um, So, I mean, I was in love with him. I wasn't ashamed of the situation you can never say who, how long a person's going to stay with you. We were very happy. And she's an intelligent person. She used to look after the kids for me, you know. They talk to her as a sort of... A, and the kids would take to her as a mother job, you know. She brought off my, my youngest over to her mother's on one of our weekends off or something and he was only three or something so it's things just happen like that there's always people out there ready to crucify people you know like I didn't didn't worry me and I I thought in this day and age that it's not an offence, you know what I mean? I suppose it proved differently. I think my reputation preceded me. If you have a beard, and I knew a few people that were involved in politics. I suppose it was more so me, yeah? Like if you're involved in Sinn Féin, you're... You're a bad guy, you know. But at the time, the hunger strikes were going on, and a lot of people were marching. She was painted with the same brush if she was living with me. No, no, at no stage did I think of leaving Richie. Um... And it wasn't, uh, certainly from the point of view of keeping my job, it was actually never put to me. Leave this man and you can save your job. You know, to play the devil's advocate. Um, Nobody has asked, like, did Richie ever consider not supporting me? I mean, he was running a business in town, which is very public business, 
he had three children. He had um, been deserted by his wife, who was God knows where. And um, I think really one of the things that stands out in my mind was that, in my opinion, Richie acted in a far more Christian way than a lot of the professed Christians around at the time. In fact, but for him, I don't know, would I have been able to cope? He was very, very supportive. And um, I was very aware in the back of my mind that um, pregnancy outside of marriage would be frowned on, certainly by a Catholic institution. Um, But I do feel that in the situation in which I found myself, I don't think, I think every situation is different. And I do think that more understanding and more tolerance could have been brought to mind. October the 20th. Miss Eileen Flynn returned to school on Monday afternoon, October the 19th, 1981, after an absence of two weeks. I invited her to the office after first class at 9.40am this morning to tell her what I had done with her English classes during her absence. Miss Flynn was grateful for the work done. Miss Flynn is still feeling tired, but says she feels able to work. The interview was friendly. October the 21st, 1981. Miss Flynn was ten minutes late for the class after lunch break. I heard the class in an uproar. This drew my attention to the absence of the teacher. November the 8th, 1981. Seven minutes late in the morning. On November the 11th, Miss Eileen Flynn is absent today. It is now 10.10am and as yet I have had no communication from her. November the 13th. Miss Eileen Flynn was in school this afternoon. She said that she was sick during the night and didn't wake up until 12 o'clock. Again, I pointed out to her that she had an obligation to tell me before 9am if she was going to be absent so that I could make arrangements for someone to take her classes. I also said I wasn't pleased with her unpunctuality and her absences without informing me. I advised her to try to improve that my first duty was to the children under my care. Miss Flynn said that she saw my point and apologised. Yes, I expected that we would win the case on the basis that, um, particularly, uh, that I believed it would be seen that her private life was her own affair, and more particularly from a legal perspective, that it was very difficult to see how her dismissal was not a matter connected with her pregnancy, given that she wasn't dismissed until, in fact, her pregnancy was disclosed. This couldn't happen to a man. How how could a man be discovered to be pregnant? How could it be discovered uh, in any respect, as long as he didn't admit to it? And in those circumstances, I felt that there were strong legal grounds uh, to support a contention that she was dismissed uh, inter alia, uh, for matters connected uh, with her pregnancy. Um, 
I think for a finish, um, whilst that uh, argument uh, wasn't accepted uh, in the subsequent courts, in the circuit court and in the high court, the fact of the matter was that at the Employment Appeals Tribunal level, the tribunal divided on the matter. The two lay uh, people on the tribunal, uh, they went against that point of view. Uh, the chairman of the tribunal was a lawyer. Uh, he supported the contention that she was unfairly dismissed. Uh, but uh, since he was outnumbered, the uh, first case was lost, as was the second and the third, the two appeals to the Turkey Court and the High Court. Could you enlarge on that? Okay. Pregnancy had absolutely nothing to do with this uh, case. Eileen would have been formally informed in August 1981 that should she continue in this relationship, that her contract would be terminated at the end of that year, 1981 to 82. And uh, in the September of that year, Sister Pauline, who is the new principal, also formally informed Eileen. And um, there was no question of pregnancy at that stage. The decision had to be my decision because, as manager, it was incumbent on me to be the person who took responsibility for that decision. I certainly would have given it very, very, very careful attention and reflection I would have sought advice on several fronts. I would have sought advice from the CMRS, that is the body who are now known as CORI. I was a member of the Education Commission at that time. I sought advice from the diocesan offices, from the Secretariat of Secondary Schools, from the people in the sisters in our own congregation who were involved in decision-making at that time, from managers of other schools, and from our legal advisors. And at the end of that long process, there comes a point when one has to face one's responsibilities and a decision has to be taken, irrespective of how difficult or how painful. December the 4th. Miss Flynn missed the first two classes this morning. She came to the office at 10.10am to apologise. She was very distressed. January the 26th. Miss Flynn was 25 minutes late for 9am class last Thursday, January the 21st. When I mentioned this fact to her, she did not apologise either for being late or for not reporting her lateness to me. I reminded Miss Flynn I was keeping a file. February the 4th, 1982. Miss Flynn was seven minutes late for 9am class. February the 15th. Miss Flynn was 20 minutes late for class. I again reminded her that a file was being kept. March the 11th, 1982. Miss Flynn rang at 8.40am. She had a chest cold and intended to visit the doctor. 
She rang in the evening to say she had been given an injection and tablets. She said she would be in school on Friday afternoon if she felt better. I asked her to come and see me. Someone said there were rumours she was pregnant. And I got all that out of, out of reading these transcripts, but mm. what was the significance of the bishop's involvement in this? It was a significant matter in that the evidence on the first occasion suggested that at the point where uh, the principal of the school had discovered the pregnancy, that the option was put, uh, as I refer to it on the occasion, Hobson's choice was given to her, to Eileen Flynn. And that was that she resign or be dismissed. Now, that's no choice. And that was put uh, on the day uh, in April when the uh, regional um, uh, manager uh, regional superior, should I say, uh, called down uh, to visit her as a result of a phone call from the principal. Uh, subsequently, uh, in the circuit court, uh, that position uh, did not come out as clearly uh, since it appeared that uh, on the testimony of the nuns that um, consultations had been taking place uh, over a period of time uh, with the bishop in the diocese. Um, now, uh, that had the effect in the circuit court, uh, in my opinion of it, uh, of... Uh, showing a less than spontaneous reaction to the news, which came out in the Employment Appeals Tribunal. That did not emerge uh, in the circuit court with the same, uh, uh, I suppose, dramatic consequence, if you like. It didn't have the same uh, uh, reaction. Um, that had a significant bearing on the case, in my view of it. This elusive Catholic ethos seems only to have a negative ability and a negative power, uh, like the punishment of the missioners when they stamped around years ago and preached hell and fire and brimstone. Is the only sin in Ireland sex and is the only sin after that being caught? Uh, because if we're going to talk about a Catholic ethos, it has far-reaching tentacles to much more than just finding yourself pregnant in a non-regulated situation from the church's point of view. I mean, where does the line of privacy stop or intrusion begin? That's the question here. And I think that when a person is a teacher or whatever in a religiously run institution, certainly, certainly, one would have to be very sensitive to the ideals that the institution was achieved to promote or, or founded to promote. But having said that, having said that, with regard to all of that, I certainly think that the, the Christian ethic of understanding and tolerance and forgiveness, that's what the whole of the religion is meant to be about, of that religion is meant to be about. And I think there's poor hope if um, people are going to be 
policed and hounded because they don't conform or they do something which falls short of the ideal that these schools or whatever stand for. Well, my understanding of school-based education is the contribution which the school makes to the formation and the development of young people during their school-going years. Now, that would address, of course, the spiritual, the academic, the moral, the aesthetic, the physical. In short, every aspect of the human personality. And all that would be done in the context of the gospel and of the norms and standards and values of the Catholic Church. And it is out of that context that the distinctive spirit or ethos which permeates every aspect of the school arises. And these then are the values and the standards which we would try to instill into these young people who have been entrusted to us by their parents. And the whole process of education is indeed a very complex process. But for me, having spent decades involved with, in the service of young people, I would be convinced that the one most important ingredient in that whole complex matter of the teacher. March the 15th. Miss Eileen Flynn returned to school this morning. I told her about the rumour that she was pregnant and asked her if it was true. She denied it emphatically. Miss Flynn was open about her fondness for Richie Roach and her deep love for the children. She said they were like her own children. She also said she knew she was in a very difficult situation. She felt torn, wrecked, and was contemplating leaving altogether, but she found this very difficult. She asked me to pray for her. At that time, as the pregnancy went on, I was very uh, thin, and I wasn't obviously pregnant at all. And I thought, you know... um, if I can can get through um, the school year and be able to take stock of my situation, I'll have the the whole summer holidays and any you know the the thing of a one day wonder. And come September, there'll be something else. April the second told Miss Eileen Flynn that a representative of the parents came last week, Wednesday the 24th, to tell me how they felt about what they had heard about her, that she was pregnant. I again asked her if she was pregnant and she said no. She talked for a while about how she felt re the situation and then said that she would be going home next Tuesday to have a long think about it. I mean, abortion, all these things cross my mind. But... Not really as on a serious level. And I didn't want to leave Neuros. I was in love with Richie. I was a family unit. Um, the children were there on the quay. He was there. And um, no, I didn't because I felt during that whole year, people asked me, like, how did I cope? And that I must have been under terrible pressure. 
but uh, the support that I got in that kind of a home, in that kind of a family situation, certainly stood to me in being able to endure and keep on going and keep on functioning and keep on believing that everything would be all right. April the 20th. I had an interview with Miss Eileen Flynn today. She admitted that she is pregnant and that the baby is due sometime in the summer. She has not consulted a doctor since the pregnancy was confirmed. She is very frightened. I promised to help her in whatever way possible. I told Miss Flynn that my brother Francis PP in Harrow Road, London, would be happy to help her. He said that he would meet her at the airport and bring her to the home. She also had the offer of being brought to Dublin by me and of staying with my mother in Glasnevin until the time of her departure. Miss Flynn said that she felt much easier in her mind. She wishes to continue in the school until the summer holidays. The baby is due sometime in July. I said that the next few weeks would decide whether that would be possible. For me, the significant uh, thing about the case, uh, as a general principle, was that it was argued at the time that in order to promote uh, the religion uh, espoused by the church uh, of whom I'm a member, it was necessary to inculcate uh, into uh, young people institutions uh, which had the ethos uh, of Catholicism. And whilst I can accept that, uh, I think education is a different matter to inculcation. Uh, Education is a right under the Constitution, but as well as that, it's a natural right. It is also coming from a particular place which is not necessarily espousing a particular doctrinal point of view on any particular matter, but it's leading people out of themselves. Um, Whereas inculcation is the offering to somebody of received truths and belief. And that's a different process. And I think the confusion of the two, I don't think it's either uh, desirable or necessary. In the interview in which I admitted that I was pregnant, um, Sister Paulina did say about her brother and that I could stay uh, overnight in Dublin with her mother or whatever. And I suppose, like, in her own fashion, from her angle, she was trying to help. But I think I, I didn't seriously entertain going over to England and staying with her brother. It was more so as a kind of a placating type of a thing because in that interview, it hit me for the first time that the school was viewing this in a very negative, almost doomsday type of fashion. And um, I suppose, to be honest, probably somewhere even if I were unconscious or unaware of it at the time, in the back of my head was, uh, I wanted to try 
to fall in with her idea of things at that time as much as I could. I couldn't take much extra pressure and it seemed easier to row in with what she was suggesting than to be confrontational and say, well, no, I'm not leaving. Because uh, you must remember that that was March, I think. March, April, March. And it was very late on in the year and late on in the pregnancy. And it was becoming more and more of a, a strain. And I didn't need any kind of confrontational thing that, no, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that. And it seemed just the easiest thing to do at the time. More so to set her mind at rest than my own. I must honestly say I felt totally harassed. It was like a... I felt harassed, I felt hounded, I felt policed, I felt that I was being singled out. What about my timekeeping and about various other things? And um, it certainly added to the strain of being pregnant and trying to keep going and whatever. Well, um, Sister Pauline had been in contact with me all the time. And at this stage, she informed me that with the vice principal, that they had decided that I should come along and speak with Eileen. So I said that I would. I mean, she knew that I was prepared to go at any time when she let me know that it was the wish of the school that I should do so. Uh, At that meeting, I reiterated what the two principals had already uh, told to Eileen. I spoke about the increasing number of complaints from parents as this situation became more public. I told her about my concern about her own position. And I put it before her that should she decide to continue in this relationship, well then that her position in the school would be untenable. I taught school until the 4th of June, which would have been the Friday. Um, We broke up for the school holidays. And um, in fact, the day after the bank holiday, bank holiday Monday, um, I had Richard in Wexford Hospital. I was living over the pub all summer um, as a family unit. And it wasn't, I had no more communication from the convent until sometime in early August. I got a phone call from one of the nuns, anyway, from the primary section of the school in St. Canice's, asking me um, to come over a day or two later to meet with Sister Mariana Power again. And um, she asked me at that meeting to resign. And um, I didn't resign. It is therefore with considerable regret that I find that you have left me no choice but to dismiss you because your conduct has been fundamentally inconsistent with your position as a teacher in the school. I believe I would be justified in dismissing you summarily. But in spite of the fact that you rejected the offer I made you at our meeting, I still feel very deeply for you, and I am still prepared to give you more extended notice in the hope that it will ease things for you. 
I am therefore terminating your employment with effect from the 30th of November 1982. I do not require you to perform your teaching duties during that period, and a cheque for the sum of £2,026 is enclosed herewith, which would equate to what you would have received over the four months commencing the 1st of August 1982 and ending the 30th of November 1982. You are being replaced in the school as from the 1st of August 1982, and in the interests of the pupils, I would be glad if you would not attend the school after it reopens. I am sorry that matters have had to come to this, but I hope that in due course you will see that I have had no option but to take this course, given my responsibilities to the school, to the pupils and to their parents. Sister Mary Anna Power, School Manager. I think that's it, really. Mm. Simon, unless there's anything else that, that comes to your mind that you wanted to add about, you know, about the case, about the significance of it. Looking back on it now, it seems like a long time ago. Uh, there are times, I think, uh, yes, there has been change. And then there are times when uh, I see... Uh, or hear points of view being expressed uh, which would make you despair uh, I think ultimately matters of this nature they're not well resolved at law law is hard um, matters of this nature are resolved I think with compassion and understanding which I think uh, that's one of the reasons uh, that I think I would have fought the case anyhow uh, I think it's one of the reasons that Eileen would have uh, stood up for her rights um, there would be an aspect of uh, the Christian message that I would have felt was perhaps being ignored and I still feel that. If you enjoyed this documentary, you might like to listen to our other Documentary on One productions. Visit rte.ie forward slash doc on one.